Welcome to Frankly Judaic, a podcast that explores cutting-edge Judaic studies research conducted at the University of Michigan. I'm your host, Corey Horn. Jewish literature speaks on a variety of persons, occurrences, and practices. One of the most fascinating ways to understand and observe the Jews living in antiquity is to actually look at how they viewed the non-Jewish nations around them, called the Gentiles. What I hope to do in this project is investigate the trope of Gentile rulers in Jewish literature. We have plenty of discussions of Gentile rulers from very detailed portraits of Gentile rulers engaging in interactions with Jewish communities to one-off references to rulers like Cleopatra VII Philopater. So it is my goal to investigate how early Jewish texts utilize and characterize these Gentile rulers towards a variety of goals. Dr. Catherine Bonishow is an assistant professor of early Judaism currently at UCLA in California. She focuses on Judaism and Jewish communities during the Greek and Roman periods, particularly those periods from the 2nd century BCE all the way to the 4th and 5th century CE. She focuses in on Gentiles and the characterization, utilization, and discussion of how they're represented in Jewish literature. I really want to show that Jewish communities are parts of this broader Mediterranean world. So I'll look at first and second Maccabees of the second century BCE and show how their characterization of figures like Alexander are influenced by broader Mediterranean discussions of Alexander. So really trying to integrate all these different data sets through a focus on very particular Gentile rulers. Through close reading and comparison with Greek and Roman texts and consideration of material, culture, and application of theories of religion and post-colonial studies, Bonashow argues that early Jewish authors allude to and describe Gentile rulers in order to respond to the constant change and circumstances of the ancient Mediterranean. It's difficult to ascertain how quickly changes happen, but there's a constant change of political rule over the regions around Jerusalem and for other Jewish communities living in the diaspora. After the death of Alexander the Great, for example, there is a constant fighting over certain areas of who gets to inherit his kingdom. And then we have independent Jewish, the independent community of the Hasmoneans, who are going to, in many ways, continue the early Hellenistic practices, but also be influenced by other groups. This is essentially politics. Greeks, Romans, Seleucids, and Jewish communities are all interacting and working through the broader networks of the Mediterranean. One of the things that Bonashow hopes to do in this particular project is show that there's a diverse ancient Jewish approach to Gentile rulers, something she believes may not have traditionally been evident in scholarship, but may have been in the public view. I want to problematize that because in many ways, it's much more complicated. Some Jewish rulers are definitively negative. Antiochus IV Epiphanes is probably the most famous example as in the descriptions of him desecrating the temple, forcing Jewish communities to not follow their ancestral laws, according to 1st and 2nd Maccabees and the book of Daniel. But not every Gentile ruler is like Antiochus. 
Looking at these examples, Bonashow believes that they may actually be redeemed in certain ways. One example is Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. He certainly is negative in parts, particularly when attempting to punish the Jews for not worshiping his idols, but he serves a purpose. He serves in the literature to show the power of the Jewish God and showcases the fact that God really is the one in control of time and the universe. Another example is in Second Maccabees, even the, the wicked Antiochus IV, he is said to convert to Judaism on his deathbed and trying to contextualize this description of him with those that are quite polemical against the king. So trying to figure out how these are not just polemical accounts, but how they figure into the broader goals of the Jewish, ancient Jewish authors in terms of how they see themselves in the Mediterranean and how these goals um, and texts are influenced by broader Greek and Roman traditions. Whether it be traditions of how they tell time or how they describe the rulers in terms of the festivals they celebrate or other imagery, Bonashow is making an argument building on the work of other scholars. That 1st Maccabees, which is a 2nd century BCE Jewish text, and the book of Daniel specifically in chapter 8, characterize Alexander the Great as the marker of a new era. He starts something new. And oftentimes in 1st Maccabees and in the book of Daniel, he doesn't just start something new. He marks the beginning of something new that is the Seleucid rulers that come after. And they focus on how, if it weren't for Alexander in many ways, these rulers would have been quite different or they wouldn't have been there in the first place. He is the beginning of their era, and they and their wicked actions follow in his footsteps. Bonashow believes and argues that this could be a response to Seleucid propaganda of temporality. She's building on the work of Paul Cosman, who says there is a particular Seleucid temporality that only emphasizes the Seleucid rulers themselves instead of those that came before them, and that includes Alexander. So I'm arguing that the Jewish texts kind of play on this. And instead of saying that the Seleucids are only responsible themselves for their dynasty, they actually put Alexander back in when the Seleucids had taken him out. And in many ways, I think that this is maybe a a, a bit of a poking fun at the Seleucid rulers themselves, or or at least their concept of the world. One of the most prominent figures in Bonashow's research is Antiochus IV Epiphanes. Antiochus was a 2nd century BCE Seleucid ruler who is probably most famous in ancient Jewish literature for the bad things that he did. He persecuted the Jewish communities, desecrated the temple. He protested the practice of certain Jewish observances, and according to some texts, he sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple of Jerusalem. In one of these texts, in addition to all these bad things that he's supposed to have done, he's supposed to have disallowed Jewish communities from observing their own festival traditions. So whether that means observing Sukkot or other festival traditions, and is supposed to have forced them, at least again, according to this text, to celebrate a festival to the Greek god Dionysus. Now, there's a wide debate among scholars about whether or not he actually did this, or if Dionysus was even part of the main structure of Antiochus IV. What I want to ask is not whether or not this actually happened, but how the ancient Jewish texts 
use of the Festival of Dionysus and characterization of Antiochus the Fourth's rule as being like the Festival of Dionysus, Dionysus, what that does for the ancient Jewish authors. Does it allow them to reinforce what they see as their own authentic Jewish traditions against the Festival of Dionysus? Why mention it at all? They could just say Antiochus was bad. But the how they do it ends up being, I think, quite significant. Antiochus IV is actually one of the most important Gentile rulers for thinking about ancient Judaism. Because in many ways, all of the bad things that he does forms a significant part of how we date ancient texts. So if a text mentions the terror, then it had to have been written after his rule, shortly after or well after. If it doesn't mention the terror, then there's the idea that it must have been written before. While Bonisho believes that this is actually an accurate method, she would push back against them and take it a step further to say that these references can prove more than just an immediate historical detail. It indicates what Jewish communities have been through, but it can also be used by Jewish communities in order to promote certain concepts, in order to respond to certain communities. So I just think there's more going on within type. Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanies, and, and other scholars would definitively, I think, agree with this, than just dating or the historical circumstances of what happened in the mid-2nd century. While not particularly believed to be 100% accurate by Bonachot and most scholars, according to one text, Antiochus the Fourth of Epiphanies converted on his deathbed. He gets involved in a lot of fighting with other rulers in the region. This is around the time of the Maccabean Revolt, but he's eventually killed and injured in battle, and this eventually leads to his death. But because of the terrors that he wrought in the region, it brings about the Hasmonean Kingdom and, for the most part, independent Jewish rule for decades in, in the land after his rule. According to the literature, his death doesn't necessarily bring chaos, but what's happening on the ground in some ways is difficult to tell. What we find is a lot of people are going to follow the Maccabees and will fight Antiochus, and this is a great day of joy. They rededicate the temple, and this becomes Hanukkah. So it's actually more of a joyous thing, not once he dies per se, but it's the response in getting rid of the terror. The Maccabean Revolt was a Jewish rebellion led by a family known as the Maccabees and against Seleucid rulers. It was led by a Judas Maccabee and his family, and essentially they sought to end Hellenistic rule in the region. But what many scholars have now shown is that they are still very much influenced by Hellenistic rule all at the same time. So even there, rejection of Hellenistic rule. In my mind, if anyone says, no, we'll never do that, they're the worst, they're in some way influenced by it. And, and the, the Maccabees end up being quite influenced by many Hellenistic ideas. So this is what the Maccabean revolt is, and they eventually rid the area of Antiochus IV and, and bring about an independent Jewish kingdom. The second half of Bonachot's book is to concentrate on rulers associated with Rome. After the Seleucid kingdoms and Antiochus IV, we have an increased Roman influence in the region, including the arrival of Pompey in 63 BCE. After this, we see increased relevance of Rome all the way beyond the Roman destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 CE. 
We see plenty of Roman rulers being used in Jewish texts for a variety of purposes, including legendary kings that are way predate many of the events we're talking about, Romulus and Remus, to um, the Roman emperors Vespasian and Titus, and even the Egyptian queen Cleopatra VII, Philo Potter. The focus of the second portion dives into the Jewish portraits of Gentiles. For example, Alexander the Great acknowledges the power of God and is respectful towards priests in Josephus' writings, but is maybe not so much in the Dania. Cleopatra is a terrible, violent ruler in the writings of Josephus, but in the Babylonian Talmud, she's much more complicated and actually a renowned expert in the human body. This moves her from being a dangerous, violent queen to a colleague. We rarely need to be a normative response to Gentile rulers, or even a specific Gentile ruler. The focus is that this all hinges on which Jewish texts that we're looking at. We do see a building of traditions and an influence of traditions. So Josephus is probably influenced by broader Roman traditions and even current Roman traditions about Cleopatra and her actions. But later on, we have a development in the broader Mediterranean world, centuries later, around the time of the Babylonian Talmud, we have a development where Cleopatra becomes associated with medical knowledge. So the Jewish texts being composed around that time, are they still influenced in many ways by descriptions of Cleopatra's sex and her use of sex to seduce Antony? Probably. But they're also influenced by the late antique traditions that talk about how awesome at scholarship she is and how, how great a medical expert she is. This is a buildup of traditions, and depending on what traditions are available or are circulating at that time, those are going to influence the Jewish texts that are written, even if they are written well after the lifetime of that Gentile ruler. What I hope to do in this book is, is to try and reconstruct what it meant for ancient Jews to not just encounter Greece and Rome or to be subjugated by Greece and Rome, but to live under Greek and Roman rule for century and to be part of Greece and Rome in a lot of ways. They're part of this broader Mediterranean world. And I think with these new readings, I hope to move beyond questions that assume a binary in the ancient Mediterranean of were Jews Hellenized or did Jews assimilate into or resist Roman culture or is Josephus Roman or not? The complexities of antiquity require us to move beyond these binaries. So instead, Bonachow argues that the early Jewish literature that discusses these Gentile rulers takes a multifaceted approach to Greece and Rome. They can have a multifaceted approach to certain Gentile rulers, and they don't need to have only one. So a Jewish responses to Cleopatra VII Philopater can morph from she is violent and evil and is in competition with Herod, as Josephus describes, to acknowledgement of her knowledge and stature in rabbinic literature, particularly that of the Babylonian Talmud. Um, essentially, what I'm trying to argue is that Gentile rulers become what early Jewish authors need them to be. They're a potent literary trope by which Jewish authors can critique, praise, or ultimately reimagine Greece and Rome's interaction with Jewish communities. 
Texts present depictions of how authors present depictions of rulers. They often do this with a goal in mind. They're not necessarily historically accurate, and they don't necessarily mirror the realities of antiquity. Rather, they're mirrors to our authors and how they are imagining or reimagining their own histories. How we interact with histories, how we think about power and descriptions of power, and how we relate to how we remember power is a really important component of how we remember and what we also forget. There's really no essential ancient Jewish response to Gentiles or Gentile rulers. They're complicated. Portraits of Gentile rulers in many ways are either usually described as historical references or to describe others more generally. But Gentile rulers showcase the intimate interactions of Jewish literary concerns and power and either the need to critique power to utilize and co-opt power or to, you know, promote one's own power. You've been listening to Frankly Judaic, a production of the Jean and Samuel Frankel Center for Judaic Studies at the University of Michigan. The executive producer is Scott Spector. You can find and subscribe to Frankly Judaic anywhere you get podcasts. If you like the show, please leave a five-star review. Thanks for listening.